Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. I'm so happy to have Magdalena Shalaki back on my PCOS Diva podcast. She's one of my dear friends, and she's the founder of Hormones Balance. It's an online community dedicated to helping women to rebalance their hormones naturally. Magdalena is a certified nutrition coach, herbalist, a published best-selling cookbook author, speaker, and educator. And she has a long history of hormonal challenges. Her health crisis was the direct result from a highly stressful life in advertising starting from Graves and Hashimoto's to adrenal issues and estrogen dominance, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Magdalena was uh, on the PCOS Diva podcast on episode 116, and we talked about uh, overcoming PCOS and estrogen dominance. And this is going to be a continuation of that of that podcast because she has a fantastic new book out that I just read last night. It's a beautiful coffee table book, really, and it's called Overcoming Estrogen Dominance. So congratulations on your new book, Magdalena, and welcome back to the PCOS Diva podcast. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me and, and helping spread the word about you know this hormonal imbalance that so many women experience and yet so many of us don't realize that that's what it is. Well, you know, you and I have so many different parallels. Um, you know, I was in marketing um, in a previous life and you were in advertising mm-hmm. um, and we both had our own health issues to deal with that led to us to become um, educated and empowered so that we could advocate for ourselves. And now we're teaching others to do the same. And I would love for you to share your story um, and what led you to write this book um, about estrogen dominance. You know, I think the main reason is because it is a very underserved community of women that really consists of almost every single woman that you know in your life. You know, when you look at the symptoms of estrogen dominance, it's almost, it's like it calls for, for, for question um, who doesn't have it you know who hasn't experienced it at least at some point in her life right and so so that was a big uh, motivator and just my own story of you know of being super estrogenic right from the um from the early age and you kind of know when you have estrogen problems when you're having debilitating periods and you're in a fetal position on the floor 
you know, when your period starts and for the first two days, and it's not because you want to skip school um, or not go to work, but you really just can't get yourself together. And, you know, and then followed by everything from lumpy breasts to having all sorts of period problems and absent periods, a lot of irregular periods and um, mood swings, you know, that was, that was one big thing that compromised so many of my relationships in the past. And, you know, you know, as the core person, you, who you are and how you respond to things. And then you finding, you, you find yourself just becoming like this monster and, and just doing and saying things you wouldn't have done otherwise. And you regret it later, but sometimes it's too late, you know, and, um, and, you know, those lumpy breasts, I, I, I mean, I will never forget this. You know, I think any woman who finds a lump on her breast, there is a moment of terror and panic. And then you hit Dr. Google and you kind of conclude that you probably have breast cancer. You're going to die in a couple of years. And, you know, and even if you're cool about it and you, then you hit the wall with like, how do you get diagnosed? And, you know, do you go, do, do the mammogram as everybody's is conventional medicine is pushing you to do or listen to your naturopath and your hippie friends who tell you thermogram, right? And so... You know, so there was all of that. And um, in my later years, it was also thyroid nodules. So I, I had uh, three thyroid nodules on my thyroid and not really knowing what to do with it. You know, it was really intimidating. Um, later was also hair loss that wasn't thyroid related. So I do also have a history of Hashimoto's and Graves' disease. So those are both autoimmune diseases that affect the thyroid. Uh, but it, it was the, the hair loss was caused by estrogen dominance, you know, and um, yeah, so that was, um, but I think that the biggest aha moment came probably about five, six years ago when I started having um, deaths both sides, on both sides of my family, my dad's and my mom's side, uh, women, um, both my aunts on both sides passing away from ovarian, uterine cancer, breast cancer. Um, and I pretty much, you know, when I think about it now, I don't have a female uh, cousin on or aunt on sorry so aunt not cousin but aunt I don't have an aunt on either one side of the family who would still have our uterus you know which is really interesting I actually didn't realize that until I was thinking about this just a few months ago um, and so genetically there is I definitely inherited the genes you know that um, predispose me to, to be a very slow estrogen metabolizer and detox and I don't detox estrogens very well uh, and that, that was confirmed by my genetic testing. You know, when I went to see my functional doctor for my first visit a few years ago, she was flipping through all my uh, lab, lab work, including genes, and she asked me if I've ever had breast cancer. And I asked her, why would you say that? And she said, you know, women with this kind of genes by your age, at that time I was 45, uh, would have had breast cancer by now, right? So I think I dodged the bullet in some way. I'm still dodging it um, because of the work that, you know, like you and I do and living this lifestyle. Um, and, and so, you know, it was, but it was a real aha moment for me to realize like, wow, you know, I, um, I am so incredibly predisposed and yet I can live a, a really complete, like I never, you know, I mean, I never feel in my life that I'm, I don't know, compromising or that I'm, you know, living in, in deprivation anyway. Um, I feel like I live a very complete and full out life, just being observant of the things that maybe don't serve me well. And so that's really what drove me forward to say, you know what, I really want more women to know about this. And it's not just as women who are not aware that a lot of these symptoms are related to estrogen dominance, but even both allopathic as well as even functional practitioners 
many of them don't even reckon they don't even know really what to do with estrogen dominance so there was you know a whole whole lot of reasons why i wrote the book <laughs> it, it's it really is a fantastic book and and i love that you say and we're, we're both the same age and saying that you know now in your late 40s you feel so much better than you did in your late 20s because i can really attest to that as yeah. well um living this type of lifestyle um and we can talk about about that um in a bit uh, but you're right. It's not a less than life. Um, it's really a, an abundant life that you can thrive and feel good and, um, you know, set yourself up so that you can have a happier, healthier life than, um, you know, what your, your genetic uh, profile is showing on paper. Absolutely. Uh, so I wanted to just call out a couple other symptoms that you mentioned in your book that I think are kind of surprising um, as an estrogen um, dominant symptom. And those uh, listening, you know, if you have some of these symptoms, you may be suffering from estrogen dominance. Um, and you also have a, just want to mention, you also have a great quiz in your book um, mm -hmm. so that you can kind of go through the quiz and, and have a better idea if this is something that's really, that you're dealing with, which a lot of women with PCOS do. So things like hot flashes and spider or varicose veins, mm -hmm. fat and cellulite. Um, what else do we have? Headaches or migraines, particularly before your period or mid-cycle, as you mentioned, thyroid nodules, gallbladder problems, mm. melasma or those brown facial discolorations, you know, mm -hmm. kind of on the side of your, your head. Um, so those are all estrogen dominant symptoms. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is on top of, you know, period problems. So heavy, super heavy periods, lack of periods, right? Very regular periods, absent periods, uh, fibroids, endometriosis. We talked about fibrocystic and lumpy breasts. Um, so this is on top of that, right? And so you can just imagine how um, few women uh, don't have it. And, and I also want to, you know, like what I alluded to in my um, quick story of my family, uh, you know, uterine, ovarian, breast, estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, but also lung cancer in non-smokers. A lot of research now coming out on that. People going, I've never smoked in my life. I've never been around a person who smoked. Like, why do I suddenly get diagnosed with, uh, with lung cancer? So that could also be due to estrogen, very often is, um, and thyroid cancer um, are all estrogenic cancers. And in men, you know, because we talk a lot about women, but almost every woman has some form of man in her life, right? And many of them do um, struggle with prostate. And so prostate issues in men are also due to estrogen dominance. Um, and you know, if your guy is not developing boobs, then sorry to say, but that's also because he's highly estrogenic. So <laughs> just, uh, you know, uh, so, so one of the questions we get, Amy, is if I start eating this way and I turn my whole family into your kind of meal plan and diet, would my husband be okay with that and in fact we always say that you know he probably is going to benefit from it as much as you do if not more yeah absolutely and i have a there, there's a great article that my husband cliff wrote on pcsd that, that he attests to that <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so uh, let's go into the the three different scenarios um of why you may be uh low in in estrogen or have estrogen dominance yeah, so you know the first one I call it a bad breakup is basically when uh, the way you so so actually let me just frame it first. The estrogen dominance is not um, 
it doesn't mean that you have to be fearing estrogen altogether. In fact, you and I would not be sitting here and having a cohesive conversation if we didn't have adequate amounts or levels of estrogen, right? So we need estrogen to be a woman for to have our cycles to, but even later when you're in perimenopause and menopause for you to have healthy bones and um, healthy looking skin and having good cognitive function, right? Uh, you know, I mean, that the, the regular joke of women walking into a room saying, where are my glasses, right? Which, well, she's wearing them. Um, I mean, that's like, those are the symptoms, funny, not funny, about perimenopause and menopause, right? So, so estrogen is not, is not an evil thing. It's not a bad thing. The problem is there's a couple of issues. One big thing is how we break down those estrogens is an issue. And so we call it metabolism of estrogens that happens largely in the liver. So I want to just give you like a visual um, um, analogy here. Just imagine you're standing by the side of a river and the water is flowing and it's hitting a bank. In the middle of the, of the river, you have a bank and the river is hitting the bank and then the bank separates the water out to clean water and dirty water, right? And so with estrogen, the same thing happens when you're breaking down those estrogens to clean estrogens, what I call in the book, dirty estrogens. And the dirty estrogens are the metabolites that are potentially, well, they are problematic and documented as being the ones that are causing all the symptoms we talked about. Uh, and then you have the protective kind of estrogens, the clean estrogens that actually mitigate, uh, for example, the growth of a thyroid nodule or the growth of um, endometrium, right? So, um, so that's the one form that it can happen. And, and the, the, the two body organs that are hugely important in um, you know, the dictating how well you are breaking down those estrogens is basically your liver and your gut. And liver especially... Uh, more so it's, it's, you know, a lot of people think of the liver as being something that detoxes us from maybe alcohol and caffeine. And, you know, uh, some people know about some of the maybe pesticides that are found in, in food, et cetera. But it's also liver is hugely important for, uh, for, for overall, you know, hormonal health and your estrogen hits the liver and the liver, um, the specific pathways like the sulfation pathway, methylation pathway, uh, glucuronation pathway that are responsible for um, for breaking down those estrogens. So that's one form of estrogen. The liver plays a huge role here. The second form of estrogen dominance is when you have basically that your ratio of estrogen to progesterone is not great, meaning you have too little progesterone to oppose estrogen. So think of estrogen and progesterone like two dancing partners, right? And if you, you know, watch a dancing competition, um, that, you know, if, if the, if the man is overly cocky and sort of overdressed and the woman is timid, it doesn't look good. Right. And vice versa. And so you want to have a balance between them and they do this wonderful dance. Problem is that especially as we, as we start aging, um, so like 35, um, the minute you, you know, you, you hit 35 and, and onwards, um, both estrogen and progesterone start dropping, but typically in most women, progesterone starts dropping faster than estrogen. So you have this disproportion that happens and a lot of people um you know like for example some women are like 45 55 and email us and say hey um you know I, it just doesn't make sense to me i'm i'm low on estrogen why do i show symptoms of estrogen dominance and the answer is that you basically even though both of them are low estrogen and progesterone is low you are basically um, not having uh, enough even though it's low you still have you don't have enough progesterone to oppose the little estrogen that's there. And it can also be that even though you're low on estrogen and progesterone, the way you're breaking down those estrogens is still unfavorable. So if you think about it, like who are the women who get breast cancers? Those are women who are 
you know, 55 to 75 is the, is the largest group, is the demographic, right? I mean, these women don't have high estrogen. They have low estrogen, yet they develop estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, right? So it's not the amount of estrogen. I really want to highlight that is the, it's how you break it down and how and, much progesterone you have to oppose it. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to point out as well that most women with PCOS have a low progesterone profile. Mm. Um, so that's uh, really good to note. And it's one of the reasons why I think it's really important to do hormonal testing. And we talked about this in our last episode. Um, I know you're a big fan of the Dutch test. Mm -hmm. um, and that also, may, maybe uh, before we go into that third type, um, you could just give a little overview uh, of the Dutch test and why that is helpful for kind of figuring out your estrogen um, situation. Yeah. So Dutch <clears throat> uh, stands for desiccated urine test, right? And so um, it's only in urine you can actually see the metabolites uh, properly. And so when you get the test, it's a 24-hour urine test, you get your report back and it shows you how you, it shows actually a lot of really great things like your cortisol levels, DHEA, testosterone level. But I just, you know, since the conversation here is about mm -hmm. estrogen, it also shows you how effectively you're breaking down those estrogens. And, um, and you have these three metabolites, two, four, and 16 hydroxyestrone. And, and that is two is the protective one. Four is, can be either problematic or protective. And 16 is clearly problematic. And, and it also shows you whether your COMPT gene is working properly or not, which is the, that's your, that's the gene that breaks down estrogens. And then what can you do to skew that balance? So that's part of the reason why I like Dutch a lot. The only thing I don't like about Dutch, and I wish they, they, they do a combo of saliva with it, was that, is that they only do a prediction of progesterone level. It's not an absolute number. And so you can't, cannot really get your progesterone reading from, from Dutch. Um, if you want to get a progesterone reading, um, blood is completely useless, so don't waste your time with that. Um, the saliva testing, there's a couple of labs like ZRT and Labrix. Um, I think they got bought over by direct, uh, direct labs now. Um, doctor's data, sorry. Um, they, you know, they do show progesterone a lot of more accurate numbers. Great. So, so what is the third um, scenario? with estrogen dominance? Yeah, the third one, I, I don't generally talk too much about it because there's not like um, that much that, um, it, you have to do saliva testing to see that is basically your E1, E2. So there's three types of um, estrogens and the estrogen that is, um, you have E1, so it's estrone, E2 is estradiol and E3 is uh, estriol. So estriol tends to be um, the protective type of estrogen as high as in women who are pregnant. Mm, the problematic form of estrogen is estradiol. And, you know, part of the reason why, um, you know, you and I are so big on, for example, cleaning up, not just your diet, but also the stuff that you bring into your home, the things that you inhale, the things you put on your body, the things you clean with, right? The things you use in a kitchen is, it really matters because a lot of the, uh, those chemicals, right? Whether it's uh, phthalates or whether it's aluminum, um, you know, so BPA, I mean, the list goes on, uh, they tend to, they convert in the body um, into estradiol. And, you know, when you look at women, for example, with breast cancer, estradiol is extremely high. Um, and so, so this is another, like, a, you know, indicator of just understanding that um, not all estrogen is bad. And, and there's, 
um, again, it's, it's the, how much you work on your liver and your gut that you can skew the balance towards the protective estrogens or the clean, dirty, uh, the clean estrogens, right? Mm -hmm. And pull the body away from the dirty ones mm -hmm. or the uh, estradiol. So your book is really focused around uh, a three-legged stool to help kind of bring about hormonal balance. And in, your, in our last interview together, you, I, I pulled out this quote. Um, you said, I will tell you that among all of the different hormonal imbalances that I had, estrogen dominance is one of the easiest to reverse. Yeah. So, so let's kind of get into the th the three your three legged stool and some tips for our listeners on how to reverse their estrogen dominance. Yeah. So you know, sometimes I I wonder whether the three legged uh, analogy is. Um, I think it helps to contextualize things, but sometimes I feel like when I first start talking about it, is it can be kind of intimidating. Uh, but I'll just mention it, and if you know if. The listeners can trust me that it's actually easier than what it sounds. So uh, the analogy goes like if you want to sit on a three-legged stool, all the three legs need to be firmly in place for you to feel, you know, stable and comfortable, right? And so in terms of your hormones and including estrogen uh, dominance is the three uh, legs your body depends on is your the health of your liver that I talked about, the health of your gut, and your blood sugar levels, which I know in your community, that's a big part of the conversation because um, the metabolic disorder is a big contributor towards PCOS, right? So those are the three things. The good thing is that, you know, I think for some people, especially starting out on this journey, it sounds very intimidating going like, oh my God, now she's asking me to do all these 20 things for my liver and then another 10 things for my gut and then boom, and then I've got like other, you know, 20 things from Amy to do for my blood sugar levels. And so I just want to say, actually, you can, um, when you follow protocols like the way for example we've laid it out and i know amy your all your diet uh plans are the same way um when you are really focused on anti-inflammatory diet and pack your food with uh, sorry your diet and your your daily meals with certain foods that hopefully we can get to talk about a few of them today you know you actually kind of killing the three birds with one stone Mm -hmm. And, and you don't have to then focus on like, oh, those are the things I need, you know, one, the one thing I need to do for my blood sugar levels. Oh, there's another thing that I need to, my liver. No, it's like, let me give you an example. For instance, if you do incorporate a lot of broccoli sprouts into your diet, right? You know, they're very, um, they're very high in uh, sulforaphane. And so sulforaphane is just wonderful substance that uh, research shows. It's like that little tender broccoli sprout can kill cancer stem cells. How about that? Right. And, you know, but it is also a great gut healer. It is um, because it's also a cruciferous vegetable. So it's in a cabbage family, right? It also um, contains levels of DIM, dialyromethane, which the liver uh, loves as well, right? And guess what? And the latest research that I've come across is that sulforaphane can also sh help you uh, balance your blood sugar levels, right? Contribute towards that. So it's things like that that you can, you know, start incorporating. Um, that can be hugely uh, beneficial for all the three at the same time. And, you know, or like one of the things that I'm, I can't remember when I talked about it two years ago, um, but like, for example, fixing your breakfast, you know, not doing things like yogurt and fruit and uh, porridge, you know, oatmeal and, and bananas in it um, with, with maple syrup. <laughs> Uh, because that's all carbohydrates, not going to help you in any way. But like switching out your breakfast to what I call a PFF kind of breakfast, protein, fat, and fiber kind of breakfast, and 
we've got some new recipes in the book for uh, fisherman's breakfast and um, farmer's wife's breakfast and <clears throat> you know where you're actually eating savory food for breakfast and and just a little side note here you know I'm a big world traveler before the crazy virus hit the world and and you know and I've traveled to over 40 different countries and I can tell you that the more in all uh, what we call developing countries right they actually eat savory food for breakfast you know if you go to Turkey or like Japan which is not even developing in Japan or Korea or you know, you go to Morocco, Peru, uh, walk around, like this is my favorite thing to do is to get up early in the morning and walk around the markets and just see, you know, see the city wake up because I'm an early riser. And, um, and I can tell you, man, no one eats sugary uh, processed carbohydrates for breakfast. Everybody eats savory foods and there's a reason for that. So, so when you start off your diet that way, you're immediately managing your blood sugar levels. You are managing your cravings a lot better you don't go then resort uh, to eating, you know, muffins and be pissed off with yourself or uh, caving in to sugar. You reduce your coffee because you are now, you know, your blood sugar levels are a lot more stable. You have a lot more energy. You don't need that caffeine. And guess what? By doing that, you're doing yourself a favor in terms of your liver gets a break as well. You, um, of course, like I said blood sugar levels are stabilized, right? Your liver gets a break. Um, your your gut is going to be a lot happier, especially if you you know, follow like what you and I always talk about, anti-inflammatory diets, so cutting out gluten, dairy, soy, corn. I'm also a big fan of cutting out eggs for a while just to see whether uh, that helps a person. I, I have found in our community that about 40, 50% of women have a problem with eggs and they mm -hmm. can be highly inflammatory. Um, and there are some who don't, but you don't really know until you cut it out and bring it back in, right? So um, my whole book is based on, all the recipes are based on being egg-free. Um, you know, and that is like when you, when you embark on that kind of um, meal plan, um, that is, by the way, not limiting in any way. I'm not forcing you to be buying any protein powders and shakes. Like it's just based on real food, uh, traditional ways of, you know, using food. You really are addressing all three things at the same time. Yeah. And that, that's such a great point. Um, and it really, it, in, in your book, you, I'm just going to read a quote that you say, it's really simple. The next time you go grocery shopping, make sure 80% of your cart consists of fresh foods instead of packaged processed items. And when you're eating fresh foods, um, you know, mainly like nuts and seeds and uh, veggies, fruit, you're getting a lot of fiber. And, and why don't you share, I and mean, fiber is one of those things that can kind of benefit all of those legs on the stool. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like, um, uh, I mean, it's everything from, it balances your blood sugar levels, right? It will act as a really great, like a broom to sweep your colon, especially the um, the, ins uh, the insoluble fiber. And, and guess what? Constipation is one of the big contributor to contributors towards estrogen dominance because whatever you don't poop out, and by the way, we poop metabolized hormones out. You know, when I talked about the dirty estrogens, I mean, they don't just miraculously vanish. They, the liver separates them out and then you, that passes it on to the colon and, and you poop out your metabolized hormones. So constipated women tend to be far more estrogenic than women who have regular bowel movements. And so a fiber can help with that. It can also, is going to support, you know, your, um, um, yeah, insoluble fiber also is, um, is food uh, for your probiotics. And so one of the other things I talk about in the book, the reason why the gut is, um, you know, one of the legs for estrogen dominance as well is because 
you know, we have something called adiastrobolum, which is a subset of bacteria in the gut that code for enzymes. So they produce enzymes that break down those estrogens. So the liver, yes, is very important, but it's also your, um, your gut microflora would also, um, you know, contribute towards breaking down those estrogens in a favorable way. Um, so insoluble fiber can really help with that, you know, and, and on that, Amy, can I share about flexi? Cause it's kind of a control. I was just going to ask you yeah. about that. You know, you are one of the first people that, I mean, years and years ago, we're talking about seed cycling and mm-hmm. how good seeds are for you. And I think you contributed an article early on to my website about it. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we're not going to go into seed cycling in this podcast, yes. but tell us more about the benefit of flaxseed. So first of all, you know, flaxseed is, controversial, right? Because, um, you know, when, and, and it's understandably so, because when a woman, woman hears or she takes a quiz or, um, you know, is told by her doctor that she's estrogen dominant, then you think, well, hold on, flaxseed is estrogenic and it contains phytoestrogens. And so, uh, hence I should fear it and avoid it. And the paradox of this is, is um, it, well, I think the answer is in a nuance, right? So like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, estrogen is not a bad thing those phytoestrogens that are found in flaxseed are very gentle and they are very subtle and they are the, the good types of estrogen you actually, your body will benefit from. So women, for example, with hot flashes, and before we started recording, you said that big part of your community, even younger women are reporting hot flashes. And so adding some flaxseed is actually going to really help. And, you know, if you add just two tablespoons of freshly ground flaxseed to your smoothie or glass of water, or sprinkle on top of salad, just don't cook it, um, is really going to help you a ton. So that's, um, so, so we don't want to fear it. But the interesting thing is that what research shows about flaxseed is that flaxseed together with actually a lot of other, few other foods, including uh, pomegranates, for example, is that they have um, the function of blocking the receptors in a cell that receive, that are open to dirty estrogens. And so basically they literally, they block dirty estrogen from coming through causing the symptoms that we talked about earlier in the podcast. And, and you know, that is kind of fabulous um, that the food is, you know, can be so selective in how it acts in your body, right? And, and really help you, even though it's estrogenic, but it blocks those dirty, dirty estrogens. This is, this is fabulous. The other thing I love about uh, flexid is the fact that it's highly anti-inflammatory. And I know in PCOS community, you talk a lot about inflammation as being the underlying um, root cause, root, cause of, of, um, of the condition. And so, you know, flaxseed contains um, alpha lipoic acid, and that is um, really wonderfully anti-inflammatory. I don't, I'm not a fan of flaxseed oil. Just, um, I'll just say it straight up. Part of it is because, I mean, look at how it's sold, right? Dark bottles in a refrigerator. Why? Because it gets oxidized really quickly and goes rancid really, really quickly. So um, in order to get the lignans that I was talking about, to get the fiber that we talked about um, and bring in the estrogenic, uh, the dirty estrogen blocking uh, property that I discussed, like you need to get all of this from actual seed that's ground and not from the oil. Uh, but the oil is still present in the seeds and so hence the anti-inflammatory result. And then the third, third thing, Third thing I love about flaxseed is that, you know, is the insoluble, insoluble fiber that it contains. So on one hand, it supports um, my, to diversify the microflora and gut. On the other hand, it helps your, um, it helps you evacuate, right? And go to the bathroom with a lot more ease. And guess what? Whenever there is fiber around, your liver is going to love it. So it's just a really wonderful uh, food to add. I will add, um, Amy, just to this is that 
I um you know when when we I'm a big propon proponent of flaxseed as in a lot of our recipes, and I remember a couple of years ago, uh, beginning to get quite a lot of emails saying you know I've tried it and it's actually my symptoms of estrogen dominance have gone worse from taking flaxseed, and so you know I don't want to dismiss it right I mean that's a valid concern and and I would say it was probably like one out of twenty women would have like a paradoxical response to flaxseed so I hit um. Uh, research, you know, zone. And what I have found was that there are certain women who have, especially when you have a poor microflora, uh, poor diversity of your microflora, of your gut microbiome, uh, the, then the reaction to flax seeds uh, might be paradoxical because you don't have the right bacteria to break down um, that flax seed and to, to, for your body to deal with it. So then it becomes more of, um, you know, almost like a toxic food rather than a friend. So I would just put it out there. Uh, that's something to consider. Um, if it's making you feel worse, then you definitely want to stop taking it. Uh, that's a big, uh, first big thing. But the other thing is like, you know, I think it um, brings us to the next point is saying, what can you do to diversify your microbiome, right? Um, and, you know, when I, when I say diversification of the microbiome, one thing that comes to mind is like when I was writing the book is how much research we have found on women who have breast cancer. Um, and there's a correlation, there's no causation per se, but there's a correlation between women having breast cancer and having a very, um, not poor microflora, but, but just a lack of diversity of the microflora as compared to women who are healthy, right? Mm -hmm. So it kind of brings us back to, you know, in the same circle, which is work on your gut. You know? Right. And, and I just, um, just wanted to back up just a quick minute to the flaxseed. Uh, and you talk about using it freshly ground. Do you like use a coffee grinder to put a couple tablespoons in and grind that up? Uh, yeah, exactly. So um, I don't drink coffee, but I can't drink coffee, but if I was, I would probably get, I'll get another coffee, another grinder, uh, just because mm -hmm. then you don't, you know, that coffee kind of overtakes everything. Right. But yeah, absolutely. You can just use a regular spice grinder for that. And you know, Amy, I'm lazy. So I typically, I would just grind up like a whole jar, um, like a, you know, half a quart jar and keep it in the fridge and use it up within a week. So uh, you don't want to be buying flexi that's the, what's called flex meal that's already pre-ground because, because of the oxidation issue that I talked about. And if you really want to have a full medicinal uh, value of it, then you want to do it yourself. But you can keep it for like five days in the fridge in a, mm -hmm. with no oxygen. So I just, um, I wanted to close uh, the podcast on talking about bitters. And mm. one of the other foods that you mention um, is dandelion, which mm -hmm. this uh, podcast is coming out in March. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're going to be seeing some dandelions soon here in New Hampshire. And I know you're in Colorado. Um, so tell us about the benefits of bitters like dandelion. Yeah, so um, in the lion, um, so you have the leaf and the root. Um, the leaf tends to work a little bit more on a detoxification of the of the kidneys, and um, but because of the of the bitter quality, right? You can definitely add it into your diet too, and and that's going to be very supportive towards the liver. But the the root has got a lot more efficacy um, towards the liver itself. So. So a couple of applications here. Um, first of all, if you are foraging, like what you were saying, Amy, I think it's a great idea. I love that. That those kind of dandelion leaves tend to be really uh, quite bitter because they're wild. 
and uh, make sure you're picking it from places that have not been sprayed with pesticides. There is no dogs peeing on it. Um, or you can also get it in a health food store. Um, a lot of people don't really know what to do with those leaves. And so one quick, you know, couple of quick tips, you can just toss it into your salad. Um, one of the recipes I really love is like this old Tuscan recipe from Italy where you uh, chop up dandelion leaves with some uh, fennel bulb and uh, add some oranges to it to sweeten up so, to, so you balance the, um, you know, the, the uh, fla flavor profile. Uh, but also the dressing is made out of um, orange uh, skin, right? And so the, the skin contains also a lot of bitter qualities and, and a lot of other medicinal values and a lot of oils. And so with some olive oil and salt, it's a really simple salad. Uh, you can also, you know, just saute those leaves. Um, so just really a um, couple of applications are really uh, just anything that you bring into your food uh, that is, uh, that's got bitter qualities, always going to be supported, your liver in a huge mm -hmm. way. And I will say, you know, Amy, I, I feel like a lot of people are like kind of stuck with this mentality. I'm going to do two big detoxes a year and, you know, and some of the detoxes are okay and others are just kind of just pure crazy and, and not really healthy. Um, and to me, it feels a little bit like, you know, saying to someone, I'm just going to clean my house like deeply two times a year. And the rest of the year, like you just imagine what your house would look like if you didn't clean it every weekend or something. <laughs> right. So, you know, we can do little detox things like this to support our liver and our hormones on a daily basis. And those are like good examples uh, dandelion leaf and throwing that into a salad or mm -hmm. sauteing is one good example. But on the root side, you know, one of my favorite uh, teas, and I will tell you, a number of women in our community have said they got really addicted to this tea. Um, and I think addiction or not addiction, but like they, they craved it. They said they craved it. And I think cravings is a fascinating concept because craving is, a, is your way of your body communicating with you, telling you what it needs, right? Mm -hmm. So when, you know, when they, after a few weeks of doing um, uh, the, the, the liver tea, they, they're like, you know, I just cannot have, I cannot, I cannot imagine finishing a meal without having the tea afterwards. So basically what it is, is, is a dandelion root or, and or burdock, burdock root uh, that you steep for about 15, 20 minutes. There's a lot of companies now that you, when you walk into a health food store, they have uh, tea bags that are ready made. You know, I, I prefer to make my own and just buy bulk um, and, and just infuse it myself. But, you know, maybe that's just me I'm a, as an herbalist, but you can just, a tea bag is perfectly fine. And is the, is the bitter quality, you know, that I think the reason why women crave it is because it just um, facilitates your digestion so beautifully. It stimulates your bowel production it's we, in herbalism we call it the kellagogs. Kellagogs are um, herbs that are stimulating towards the liver to produce bile, and and then for the gallbladder to release that bile on demand. Right, so you're digesting your fats a lot better. Um, when you're digesting fats, this is actually really important because you're you know when you're digesting fats properly, you're producing HDL cholesterol, which is the cholesterol that is the building block for all your steroid hormones. So guess what? Your progesterone, estrogen, DHEA, testosterone, cortisol, all produced from HDL cholesterol. So that explains why a lot of women who cannot digest fats very well because of bile problems or liver issues, they also have a lot of hormonal problems, right? So it's all beautifully interconnected, but another quality about um, bitters, whether it's in the form of a tea or digestive bitters in the form of a tincture, um, or whether it's you know bitter uh, foods that you're incorporating, all of those will play beautifully they also help you manage your blood sugar levels which is another really fascinating one um, 
you know, and they've been around for, for centuries and centuries. Like if you, you know, if you have German friends, you might have had a Jägermaster after, you know, shooting that after a meal, right? If you go to Italy, North Italy has Campari um, before a meal. And it's not to get, you know, to get drunk. It's just to prepare your digestion for receiving food and extracting the most out of it, right? Mm. Um, so just really wonderful um, equality. And, and I would just tell you just one, one other thing before we close on, on bitters is that uh, you know, we formulated our own and now when I was at the, um, I was at a botanical camp last summer and we had a girl who was uh, celiac and she had Crohn's disease, so super sensitive to gluten. And we were doing communal dinners. And so I think that was, that was a section of the table supposed to be gluten free, but I think it got contaminated. And so she suddenly developed like this really severe um, pain in her the whole GI tract. And I said to her, I said, listen, I've got like these 20 bitters I'm test tasting and testing them right now. Um, and I'm like, you know, if you want to try them and she did, and she came back after 20 minutes and she says, Hey, Magdalena, this thing really works. Like my pain is gone. <laughs> so that was like a real acid test of, you know, like, wow, I respect bitters now even so much more. Well, I'm really excited because you're going to send me some of your bitters to try. Yeah. Um, and I will report back <laughs> and I, you know, if you've been listening uh, to PCS Diva podcast for a while, you know, my son um, has had some surgery that uh, makes his digestion compromised. So he's going to try them too. Uh, and that was something that I was really excited about to learn about in your book. Um, and the other thing that I was excited to learn about is all of your personalized add-on protocols that you added to the end of the book. And um, this book is not just for women with PCOS, as you mentioned uh, when we opened, that so many of our girlfriends are dealing with estrogen issues. And you have specific protocols for, and I'm just going to read through these quick, mm -hmm. fibroids, endometriosis, fibrocystic and lumpy breasts, hot flashes, absent periods, irregular periods, heavy periods, PMS, thyroid nodules, infertility and miscarriage, cellulite and hip fat. Um, and you know what, let's maybe, I know we're, we're, I could talk to you forever, Magdalena, but why don't you just mention a, a little bit about um, the cellulite and hip fat and how that relates? Yeah, so it's really interesting where the body stores fat. It can be an indication of whether, which, hormonal, which hormonal imbalance that a woman is experiencing. So it's probably not surprising, um, you know, probably your community, if, if you put on weight, it's going to be more, you know, like the apple shaped. Um, if testosterone, high testosterone and high blood sugar levels are the, the, the issue here. Um, with estrogen is we are the typical pear shapes, you know, and so we like to sh store fat around our hips and thighs and it's fat as well as cellulite. Um, if I put on weight, certainly that's the first place that it goes to. And the, the, the reason why I you know, wrote this, this protocol and wanted to address it was because there are so many women I know who are hitting the gym five times a week and just can't lose that weight. And the truth is that if you, you probably is going to be extremely hard to lose it, if at all, unless you address estrogen dominance as the underlying cause. And when you address that, then you start seeing the fat going away. Mm. 
And um, you also finally talk about the breast cancer protocol, which is so important. Mm-hmm. And then you don't leave us PCOS divas out because you talk about high testosterone protocol as well. Yeah. So it's such a strength to the book. It, in addition to your 28-day meal plan with shopping lists, and I can tell you all that Magdalena is um, really gifted at making healthy food taste delicious. Uh, we, you know, we've talked about her um, cooking for hormone balance cookbook um, many times um, on my PCOS Diva boards is a great resource to kind of have on your cookbook shelf. So you also in- include how many recipes in this new book? Uh, we got 46 new recipes and they all new to different from the first book. Um, and I will just say, and thank you for the kind words. And, and I will say about the recipes and one thing that we've done differently this time around is that you know, when I look at the, some of the reviews on Amazon in my first book, um, I think the biggest criticism was that the recipes, not all recipes were simple. And, and so we decided that, um, or, or they were using ingredients, which I thought could be just like a real cool challenge for people and using things like maybe cassava flour or, you know, uh, molasses, um, uh, pomegranate molasses, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but people actually found it kind of like, hey, where do you want me to find this? Like, this is a pain in the butt sort of um, attitude. And so we thought, you know what, this time around, let's just make it really simple. So when working on the recipes with a recipe developer, my brief to her was to work on five, six ingredients at the most and making it no more than 20 minutes involved time. And we have a lot of modifications for the recipe. Like you can either cook it on the stovetop or you have um, Instapot Instapot modifications. So you know, it's like a lot of one pot meals kind of a thing. Um, so that's a big, big change from there. Um, a lot of the recipes are just things that I do on a daily basis. Um, you know, I am not a very involved cook. Like I really don't like actually spending time in the kitchen uh, too much. And I like it to be quick and super delicious and, and very flavorful and very healthy. So a lot of that was inspiration just came from our own, you know, uh, lunches and dinner ideas that were quick and easy and healthy. Um, you know, this book and these recipes are not going to win me awards for being the most invest, you know, sophisticated recipes, but I don't care because that's not how we cook on a daily basis, do we? Right. It's just, you, you want it to be easy and, um, approachable and that's definitely, uh, this, this book and those recipes and the beautiful pictures. I mean, it's really, a a co- like I said before, a coffee table-like book. Um, so congratulations and thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom and, and knowledge with us, Magdalena. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. So, um, oh, before we, before we close out, just tell us where we can find your book and how can we learn more about your work? Uh, yeah, so the book is available now on Amazon. And um, if you are uh, overseas, then just head out to, we have our book shipping from other places if you're overseas. And so just head over to overcomingestrogendominance.com and you will find the international shipping. Um, and my website is hormones with an S, hormonesbalance.com. That's our home. Perfect. Well, it was awesome uh, chatting with you again. And I look forward to being with everyone again soon. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. 
And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at pcosdiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.